Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I want to thank all of my listeners who have come from around the world uh, for the last nine years listening to the podcasts that I've produced with leading authors from around the world um, about their books and their businesses. And today, joining me from England is Chris Griffiths. Uh, and Chris is the founder of a company, I actually found them on the internet, called Open Genius. And they make a uh, mind mapping software called iMindMap9. And he's also written a couple of books. One of them is a best-selling book called Mind Maps for Business. And a new book that's out, or relatively new, called Grasp the Solution, Innovation Distinguishes Between a Leader and a Follower, which do you want to be? Chris, good day to you. How are you doing? Hi, Greg. Uh, really well. It's uh, great to be talking to you. Well, it's great to have you on Inside Personal Growth. I know you do a lot of speaking. I know you get around. Uh, you're obviously a partner with uh, Tony Buzan, who is the originator of mind mapping. So you've got the inside track. If there's anybody out there, it's you. So <laughs> I've, I've got one track, maybe not the inside track. Um, <laughs> there's lots of those, but I'm happy to share what I know. Well, I'm going to let my listeners know a tad about you. Chris is the founder, as I said, and CFO of Open Genius, the company behind Think Buzan brand. Digital mind mapping software called iMindMap, and now they're on the ninth version. And visual task management app, which is crazy good, folks, called DropTask. He's a best selling author, speaker, world renowned expert on creativity and innovative thinking skills. He's the number one expert in the world for the application of mind mapping. Uh, as 28 years experience in setting up and leading successful businesses, Chris is a successful entrepreneur, having started his first business when he was 16 and selling his company at the age of 25. He's, found several, he's founded several startup companies that have ranked in the Deloitte's Fast 50 and Sunday Times Fast Track 100. Uh, Chris, pleasure having you on our show and spending a few minutes with our listening audience, um, really talking about you know divergent, convergent thinking, about all the different types of thinking that we have. And I want to start this off. I was watching one of your videos, yeah. and you state that creativity is not learned, that it's unlearned. Um, how is it that you, your company, all the things you do, the training programs that you've got, because it's not just you. Um, obviously, for someone to be successful, you grow it way beyond yourself. Yes. How do you help reach, help people reach their creative potential? What is it that you guys do the best? Um, that's a good question. I, I think a simple answer would be that we make the innovation process repeatable. Now, um, I mean, if I was to ask you, Greg, uh, a simple question, um, how many hours do you think you spent learning mathematics in your educational life? What, what would your answer be? In, in, you know, from the moment you went to school to the moment you, you got your degree, how many hours would you say you spent learning mathematics? I would just give it a guess from first grade all the way through graduate school. Uh, let's just give it... Hmm, thousand hours. 
1,000 hours. I, I would say um, the average is around about 3,000, three to 4,000 hours you would spend learning mathematics. But if I were to ask you another question, how many hours did you spend in your academic life learning how to think, learning how to create, learning how to innovate? What would your answer be now? Well, in my academic life, it would have been zero, but, but, <laughs> but, but since I left academia, tons of time using mind mapping tools and learning how to think. So the Absolutely. answer to your question is once I got out of college, yeah, yeah, yeah but while I was know. in school, no, they didn't do that. And, and this, this is the point. When you ask people, it doesn't matter where I go in the world – the answer is the same. You know, they didn't have creativity 101 lessons. Um, yes, you know, maybe some subjects touched on it, but um, very, very little. And um, you, you, your question started by, by um, making a statement that we say that creativity is not learnt, it's unlearnt. And um, in fact, that's part of the, the sort of process we have. But just to put that into perspective, um, if... If you were to look at most personal development programs, they focus on what you should do. They focus on how you should think, how you should act. But sometimes knowing what not to do is just as important as knowing what to do. So when you have a situation where um, science shows us um, without any doubt that creativity diminishes with age, we have to try and understand why does our creativity diminish with age. And a lot of that is because of the things that we do. It's our, our belief systems. It's, it's the way that we've made assumptions as we've, we've got older, as we become more conformist, as, as we become uh, less able to daydream. Um, so what we do in terms of helping our clients is, is to try and take them back to a state um, where almost anything is possible. And if you were to look at a, a child that was seven or eight, nine years old, um, and you give them a box and tell them to play with that box, they can make that box be anything they want. If they say that box is a, a bus, it doesn't matter what you say to them, that box is a bus. Mm -hmm. um, anything is possible. So we, we use um, uh, processes, and, and, and you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk in more detail about this, but you know, process is very important in an innovation program because it, it helps people go through all the stages that they need to in a very structured way. It's that balance between um, creativity and logic. You, you pair those together and you, you have innovation. You have something that is, is sensible but still creative. So what we like to do is, is we like to to what I call to a lot of serious play. Um, you know, play is important. It's fun. That's when we're creative. But, you know, as adults, we haven't got time just to do it for the sake of fun. But if we can have fun and be serious at the same time in terms of solving uh, challenges that we have, um, then it can become very productive. So um, what, we, what we do is take people through a, a series of steps, which are very clear and defined. Um, sometimes our clients don't even know why we're doing some of these, these steps, but um, the whole idea was to make the innovation process um, repeatable and to give as much chance of success as possible for them ha having a successful uh, sort of in innovation strategy. 
it's interesting you're talking about that because one of my good friends, an author, Stephen Kotler, um, which you may know, you know, mm. they've been working on actually what they call hacking flow, right? Mm. To get in this amazing creative state and hacking flow. And um, I've interviewed him a couple of times. And, you know, our neural pathways obviously can be reconfigured. Uh, and there is a lot of yes. neuroscience on this, and I know you know that. Now, when you wrote this book, GRASP, uh, GRASP was an acronym for these models that we're talking about. And I think that people should understand a little bit about this. Um, what are the models and why should they be aware of these models with relation to generative thinking, reactive, analytic, selective, and proactive? So for my listeners, that spells GRASP. Um, Absolutely. So, so where where do you want to take this as it relates to informing these listeners uh, about why you believe uh, these this acronym is important, and it's important to know where you are in the thinking process? Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, grasp the. The book, as I said, was written to go with one of our, our training programs, and it was to look at various states of thinking that we go through uh, when we're trying to make decisions. Um, ultimately, whenever you're trying to innovate, it all comes down to a very simple fact that you're trying to make a decision on a direction to take. Um, so anything you can do to give yourself a better chance of making a good decision is going to help. Obviously, there's no guarantees, there's no certainties, all you want to do is know that you've, you've given yourself the best chance. And what we thought we would do, and, and GRASP isn't, isn't the process. The, the process is called applied innovation. Um, but GRASP was the, the, the modes of thinking that we go through. So, for instance, generative, that's the one everyone knows about. That's the one everyone likes to do. That's where they're, they're doing the fun games and the post-it notes and uh, coming up with the quantity of ideas and trying to find quality and the filtering and the sorting. The, the generative is, is great. And um, actually, you don't have to spend a great deal of time on that. Um, but what you'll find is a lot of people will say, you know, we have lots of brainstorming sessions, but they're failed brainstorming sessions. You know, we have fun when we're doing it, but nothing real comes out of it. Mm -hmm. So what, what we try to do is break it down and find out why that happens. And um, if we were to look at reactive thinking, so the R in grasp, um, it's very clear that people stay in a very reactive uh, state of mind, um, especially in their working life. I mean, again, if I'm in front of an audience, uh, I like to ask them what they're thinking when they're on their way into work uh, in the morning. So it doesn't matter whether they're on the bus, in a car, on a train, um, what goes on inside of their head? And, and what do you think that they say, Greg? What, what, what would they say goes on in, what goes on inside your head when you're on your way into work? I think most people are going to tell you they're thinking about their to-dos, their tasks, what, what it is they've got to get done. The 60,000 thoughts mm. we get every day that, you know, come and go and, you know, repeated thoughts, the same ones. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah. And, 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 and that's clear. And, and, you know, they actually feel quite good because when you're on your way into work, you, you, you know what you've got to do. Um, you, you've got a picture in your mind of what you hope to achieve by the end of the day. Uh, you get into the office, you have your, your cup of coffee, you switch on your PC. And then what's the first thing people tend to do? Uh, they look at their emails, I guarantee you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They look at their emails and, and, and therein lies the rub, as Shakespeare right. would say. Right. Um, because as soon as you look at your emails, you, you just get put into this reactive 
state of thinking, uh, which means you're allowing external influences to control your direction, to control your thought. I mean, you know, you look at your watch and two hours later, the, the, the time has just disappeared because you want to get that bold black inbox to be unbold with a zero next to it. And, you know, as you know, it's, it's impossible. Now, that's just a simple example. But um, in our uh, fast-paced world, our fast-paced society, um, where, where often speed is, is misunderstood as being more important than, than good strategy, um, people are rushing around like crazy. I mean, when I go into organizations and I, I, I work with those organizations, I find that the people that are often considered the most uh, important to an organization are what I class as um, they're almost reactive junkies. They're, they're, they're crises junkies, as I call them. They're, they're always jumping from one fire to another, and they love putting those fires out, and they get the, the, the hero status within the organization because they're the go-to people. Well, but aren't the they, prob- just to, to stop you, sorry, but, it, but aren't they, we really look at it, people get addicted to that. Exactly. Um, it, there is an addiction to that. My good friend David Allen, who I used to work with before he ever became big, um, you know, he, he talks about the transit, and I know you quote him in the book. And you know, whatever we allow to come across the transit is exactly what we have to deal with. So it's really a lot about learning how to say no, isn't it? Just you know, it is. It uh, is how to turn off all these things that ring and bing and ding and tell us we've got to do this uh, to keep some sanity in our life. And, and and that is a key point because the member of the organization that's rushing around like crazy, um, fighting the fires. Yeah, they're very important. Don't get me wrong. But if you were to look at the other end of the spectrum. The individuals that put their feet up on the desk, that kick back, that just sit there and daydream, um, perhaps they, <laughs> they are viewed in a slightly different way by, by their colleagues. And, but ultimately, daydreaming is one of the most powerful tools we have. Focused daydreaming allows us to, to um, come up with, with new ideas in, in a way that being reactive would never allow us to do so. I mean, let, I, me, I, let me ask you this. Coming up with new ideas is one thing. But taking an intuitive approach all the way to innovation and all the steps in between, the insights and the things to actually manifest it, it's two different things, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, So what's the value to the company of a thinker that comes up with a new idea if that company has no bandwidth to put that idea into into process? Um, I, I I, I think one of the things that we've seen is that um, people try and differentiate between thinkers and doers. And, well, actually, you know, we're all thinkers. Um, and it's quite, quite amusing when we, we deal with, let's say, somebody in the financial industry and we get a group of people together and they say, well, look, we're, we're very analytical, we're very logical, we're very structured. Um, this creativity thing isn't for us. That's why we've got you in. You know, how can you help us? And... Actually, we just help them by setting them a process to go through where they can't be anything other than generative. So I'll give you an example. Let me just give you an example. That would be Great. clearer. I so, love examples. Um, let's just say we, we, if I went into, and this happens, um, you know, when, when people engage my services uh, and they don't know me, sometimes I, I'm, I would be in front of a um, a board of directors, they'd expect me to come in and be a little bit weird and wacky, right brain, you know, a bit 
creative, play all the games. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm absolutely not like that. I'm very structured and rigid in terms of how we deliver innovation. So if I was to say to them, right, I want you all to do some daydreaming now, I'd probably get thrown out of the room. Um, so what we do is we put them in a state of daydreaming without them even knowing it. So let's say I'm brought in and somebody wants to, uh, to review and look at ways that they can increase their sales. Um, now, because most of the time they're in a reactive state of mind, which is dangerous, they, they do the same thing all the time or they re- react to what customers are saying to them or they react to um, what their competitors are doing. So that, that immediately stops them thinking um, laterally uh, and it, it stops them thinking of, of something completely fresh and different. So um, what we'll do is we'll, we'll ask them to come up with some ideas and they'll, they'll come up with some ideas and they'll find that, that that's quite easy. Um, but what you'll find is that brainstorming goes through three stages. So the first stage is the ideas that come out are, are the most obvious ones. Uh, they're the safest ones. They're the ones that people have already got preconceived ideas about that they're going to be successful. Um, and most brainstorming sessions stop at that stage. The second stage is where they start getting a bit weird and, and wacky. Um, and then people think this is a waste of time. You know, we can never do that. That's a crazy idea. Okay, let's just focus on what we've got. They've actually stopped the process too soon because what we do is we get them to carry on and we say, come on, just have some fun. We want you to come out with the weirdest, wackiest ideas you can possibly do. So they'll do that and that's great fun. And, and they don't understand why they're doing it. And then what we will do is get them to mix together those weird and wacky ideas with the sensible ideas that came out in the, in the first stage of their brainstorm. And when you start linking the weird and the wacky with the sensible and the obvious, you start to create ways of doing things that are truly innovative, that they're, they're, they're different. You just wouldn't have thought that was possible. Um, and it works very well. Um, another way of doing it is, is to use metaphoric thinking. So again, if I go back to my example of sales, organization gets me in and says, Chris, we need to look at ways of increasing sales. I'll say to them, okay, well, let's do an ice break. Um, and it's not an ice break, but I tell them that it is because it puts their defenses down and they're happy to do it. I'll say, let's talk about fishing. So we'll, we'll start exploring what it takes to be a good fisherman. Um, how can we catch more fish? And they'll have fun with it. They'll come up with ideas, buy a fishing rod, buy a boat, boat, throw dynamite into the river. Um, and then what we start doing is, is taking that to their existing problem. So we say, okay, let's put that into your, 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 your challenge at the moment in, in terms of making sales. So what's the equivalent to finding a good fisherman in your industry. So they might say, well, finding a good consultant, a good advisor to give us fresh ideas. If throwing dynamite in the river helps you catch fish, how does that translate into your current activity? And they might say, well, doing a big marketing spend. If somebody comes up with, well, we could drain the lake and get all of the fish, uh, they can translate that back to, let's do some form of um, aggressive pricing to, to, to you know, damage the market and, and, and we'll capture the market and then turn it around later on. So it, it's getting them to think in a different way, almost without, without them knowing they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I, I get kind of uh, where pragmatism meets purposeful almost. Kind of, I know what you mean. You're saying, you know, look, 
these people have been so stuck in the same way of doing what they're doing, and you even mentioned this in one of your videos, and expecting a different result, that, you know, that's a definition of insanity. So I get that you're actually getting them to use processes to move them beyond where they've been stuck before, and that's mm-hmm. that's a wonderful thing. And I know you quote Alec Osborne, who's the he's Absolutely. basically the father of uh, this generative thinking. And I've been in many of those sessions with the post-it notes and then organizing them into columns, and I watched your videos. I mean, you do a wonderful thing with people. Now, here's something that happens to most businesses, Chris. It doesn't matter if it's your business or it's mine or the, all these listeners that are on this podcast today. You mentioned that most businesses are trapped into fear. And that the winners fail more times than the losers ever tried. And boy, is that me. Uh, I can tell you I've tried ideas. I've developed things. I've lost millions of dollars, actually. What is it about the process of not being afraid to try that ultimately leads people to success? Well, I think, first of all, is a realization that success and failure are part of the same process. You you can't have one without the other. But um, again, going back to where we started the conversation and how creativity is unlearned, a good example is that when we're going through our um, a- academic life, uh, we're taught that we have to do well in every single um, exam that we sit. You know, we have to be striving to get good grades all the time. We we can't have wrong answers. We we, we are prescribed the answers that we have to give. Um, we're taught that uh, one right answer is more important than lots of right answers. We've got to undo all of that as adults to be to be creative and, and success and, and failure um, being part of the same process um, are, are vital. So once you understand that, you, you just realise that okay, you, you don't want to fail, and, and um, it does it, it does slightly um, worry me with the sort of prevalence of people at the moment teaching others to embrace failure and um, uh, you know failure is a good thing no it's not a good thing but it's a necessity it's something that is part of a process of innovation Um, and it's something that you just learn from you build on and and you move you move forward and I, I think again what we found sorry what what we found is that what we're trying to do essentially is help people make better decisions. They, they, they tend to be decisions of greater magnitude than, than the norm. Um, and if you can take people through a process and explain, okay, going through this process might give you a 51% chance of success, um, but the whole point of it is that, uh, as in a Kaizen-based approach, if you can have multiple small steps of success, the cumulative impact of that will be huge later on. Unfortunately, what most of us hear is just, the, the, you know, the, the real big successes, the people that have gone out there, achieved amazing things from day one. But that's a small, small percentage of, of reality. And it's wrong to focus on that. I, I don't want to say it's, it's luck because it isn't. They've obviously got something and done something that's different to others. Um, But in terms of giving yourself the best odds, it's having a process and understanding that success and failure are just a necessity. Or failure is a success. Yeah. 
That's, that's obviously a great way to look at failure, and I think it is important, but it, it is part of the process, and I agree with you so much. It's not like you're setting out to fail. No. Uh, sometimes it just happens, um, and I agree that it is part of a process, not embracing it. Uh, nobody wants to really fail, but the reality is the learnings that come from that are amazing. Um, now, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. You... You quote David Allen the book, as I had mentioned, uh, I've done many yep. interviews with him, used to work with him. And the topic of information overload that he talks about that leads to reactive thinking. Now, this is, a, is really a question around mind mapping, because that's really where I'm going with this. Um, why is it that mind mapping and all your work with Tony and the development of iMindMap9 um, can move us from this reactive thinking to a very creative state in such a short period of time. Now, we know it's it's a, a nonlinear process. Uh, explain, if you would, because I've been mind, mind mapping for a long time. Many of my listeners probably haven't. Um, so treat this as if some of these people have never mind mapped. Yeah, uh, okay, understand. And, and I, I think if I go back to why I was interested in mind mapping, um, uh, I left school at an early age to set up a company um, academia wasn't really the right fit for me because I didn't want to be told what the answers were. And I came across this process called mind mapping that was uh, invented by by Tony Bazan. And I thought, wow, this, this process is, is so powerful. And a mind map is essentially a visual, represent, visual representation of the way the brain sees something. Um, it's a very simple technique. It's where you uh, start to draw an idea on a piece of paper. So in the middle of your piece of paper, you'd start with your central idea. Uh, then from that, you would draw branches that come out. Um, think of those branches as the chapters in a book. So you'd write the, uh, the, the branch chapter on top of the, the actual branch, and then you just continue to grow it. it, it you know, a lot of people consider them to look like spider diagrams. They're not. Uh, a mind map actually is a very structured way of thinking, and um, this is something that's quite important for, for your listeners to understand because people will say, I love mind mapping because it's just so free, it's radiant, um, it's, it's the perfect divergent thinking tool. The, the fact that they miss is that the mind map is highly structured when you use it the way Tony Bazan uh, recommends recommends that we use it. Um, and, and he did it for a reason. Uh, he, he Again, he's put uh, sort of a structure behind it that, that makes sense to the brain. It adds priorities. It allows you to, to, uh, to clearly see things and index things. It's very organic because it's very curvilinear. It's not straight in nature. And I mean, if, if any of your um, readers haven't come across mind mapping. Just Google it. Mind mapping is 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 um, uh, you know it's just so prevalent it's across everywhere. the world now. Yeah. Um, you, I mean, we do free e-learn, e-learning programs on how to mind map if if people want to come to our website. But there's plenty of information online. But I would definitely recommend looking at. Uh, Tony Bazan's mind mapping, not not just because Tony is is one of my business partners, um, but I honestly believe that what he's done um, has changed the lives of, of, of millions oh, of people. I mean, I've, I've I've seen it firsthand, and he's changed um, so many lives. It's just been phenomenal. He's a 
he's a master uh, at this, and I and I know how he started that. You know, you quote in the book, you use a quote from Henry Ford: "Thinking is the hardest work there is, which is why so few engage in it." How do you help foster this more proactive thinking, and and in the process of that, develop new innovation? Uh, whether it's somebody uh, who's a solopreneur starting up and has a great idea, or it's with inside of teams of companies that are trying to create new ideas for the company. Um, how is it that when you come into these organizations or you work with people to learn how to shift their thinking so they can become so much more creative and innovative? Um, where, where, where this all started for me was, was from... Um, it was probably one of my biggest failures and it would give you a good indication of why I do what I do. And, um, oh gosh, I I can't even remember how many years ago, but, um, (laughs) let's say seven or eight years ago, I was asked to facilitate, um, a brainstorming session, um, at the Petra Nobel conference by, um, King Abdullah II of Jordan. And, At that conference, you had over 30 Nobel laureates. These were uh, incredible leaders in their field. And um, what I did was was use mind mapping to to try and help solve the challenge. The challenge was uh, how can we end child hunger and child starvation? Um, And I did an absolutely terrible job. Um, I came away thinking, um, you know, we've used a fantastic tool, the mind map, um, we've had these fantastic minds together for two days, um, but I was un- unable to actually manage the process efficiently to get the most out of, of, of those 48 hours. Hmm. And, and that led me to a realization that you can use a lot of different tools. So a mind map is a tool. It's a creative thinking tool. And, and it's, it's one of my favorite creative thinking tools. Um, but a tool without the context... Um, is nowhere near as effective as it could be. It's a bit like going to a, a gym because you've decided to get fit, but you don't know the context around getting fit. You don't know that you've got to eat healthy. You don't know that you've got to dress a certain way to go to the gym. You don't know that you shouldn't eat just before going to the gym. Um, you, you could have the best equipment in that gymnasium, but you could fail and fail terribly. And that's where it led me to um, create the applied innovation process so that I could control each stage of the innovation process to make it far more structured. You use different tools at different times. Um, and in terms of, well, how do, we, how do we do that and how do we manage that? It's by, um, by making stages clearly definable. So for instance, the first stage, the most important stage of, of overcoming any challenge of of undertaking any innovation program is actually defining what your challenge is. It's the one stage that most people hate doing, don't do, won't do. um, And it's because it's very difficult. Um, You know, you have a a great quote in your book that leads to that. And it's that Einstein quote. And he (laughs) said, if he had one hour to save the world, he'd spend 55 minutes defining the problem and only five minutes finding the solution. Uh, That leads you basically to the five W's and and the one H. But I'd love to get into this. I want to go deeper with you into this process 
process because I think what happens to my listeners, including me, sometimes you get in front of these software systems or programs and you feel like you're, pardon me for saying this, is you got a brain fart. You know, it's like, okay, I've got to actually, I want to get something down on the paper, but I don't even know where to start, right? Uh, I don't know where to create my next, uh, uh, um, what do you call it, from the root out on yes. one of the limbs, right? And then the, another one. And it, it can be a little bit intimidating, I think. So what would you what would you tell somebody? Because I know you're right in the middle of telling us this process. That first process, that first step is like the biggest one. Yeah, it, it is. And because most people are in a reactive frame of thinking, they don't do it because they've already made their mind up in terms of what problem they have to solve. But actually the underlying reasons that problem exists uh, are probably more more important to understand and to work on than the actual one that's presenting itself Mm. as being being obvious. Mm -hmm. And you made a very good point there, there, Greg, because um, again, even with mind mapping, people will say, well, the mind map is a brilliant process, but I don't know where to start. I mean, what do I put in the middle of my page? And this is a, a, a clear example of why you have to have various processes. So for instance, what we found is that before you go into the mind mapping stage, which is quite structured, you're actually building on a concept and that concept is in the middle of your page or in the middle of your screen if if you're using a a computer-based tool. Um, So you have to do something before that. Before that, you need the freeform ideation, which is literally the ability just to be able to capture ideas as quickly as you possibly can not thinking about filtering, not thinking about grouping or sorting, um, that comes next. And only after you've done the filtering and grouping stage would you then go on to the mind mapping stage. So a lot of people miss those early stages out and they jump straight into the mind map or straight into the brainstorm and they haven't actually done the freeform ideation, which which is the stage where anything goes. It's where you can let your mind run free, you can come up with any idea and you can connect those ideas together um, to come up with with something new and fresh and unique. Well, um, and, and I mind map nine. You know, this is a plug for you. You've created this this great tool that it circles all over the page, folks. I'm just going to tell you that. And you basically just start typing. And what happens is it just creates a new circle for every thought that branches off of this. And then you can actually just push a button. And this is, again, a commercial for you guys. And it turns that into the mind map, right? So Absolutely. Yeah. Now, who, who basically came up with that? Because that is really innovative, and it's a great idea. Oh, thank, thank you, Greg. I mean, the, I mind map itself came about because it was a product that I wanted to use myself. And, um, I, you know, it wasn't about making money. It wasn't about creating a company. The issue was I couldn't mind map the way that I wanted. Now, the new fast capture mode, which is what you're talking about, again, was something that I was desperate for. I wanted the ability to be able to capture ideas very quickly to show how they associate, but not to have an overload of information on my screen. Um, But what the computer is doing quite cleverly underneath is putting structure behind it. So all of a sudden I can just press a button and then I've got a mind map there. Um, so fast capture was, was one of my feature requests to, to, to my development team is, guys, I really want to be able to do this. Um, and uh, it took a while for us to, to, to get it right. Um, it took nearly uh, 10 months to, to, to get it to the stage where we, we, we wanted it before we could release it. Um, but it's, it's been very, very well received. Uh, and, and again, it's about 
putting different uh, views uh, in front of a, a user at different stages of a process. So we, we see that as the capture stage. You just capture ideas. Uh, awesome tool. Now, uh, Chris, you one of my favorite people is Bucky Fuller, and I've followed him, and I'm, I, I'm actually in a book about him. Some people quoted me. Oh, wow. So, you know, you state that the problem-solving decisions are integral to an organization, and you quote Bucky Fuller. When I was working on a problem, I never think about beauty. I only think about how to solve the problem, but when I'm finished, if the solution is not beautiful, I know it was wrong. Yeah. How do you help people inside of organizations uh, by using the techniques and tools in what Bucky is saying, creating a beautiful solution to their existing problem. And, and right after that, you talk about define, generate, evaluate, and solution. Yes. Um, so maybe those are the, the steps we, we need to talk about to make our uh, solutions beautiful. Absolutely, and what your what your I mean the the stage that we'd be looking at um, in, in regards to that would be the evaluation stage. Um, too many people try and base their 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 decision decisions on very linear processes, uh, i.e., they will be looking at spreadsheets in uh, numeric comparisons. Uh, so it all comes down to data. Now the problem with data is you don't see everything. You don't see the real picture. Um, you know the map is not the territory, as, as as they say in NLP. And and it's the same in terms of um, picking the right way forward because um, coming up with new ideas. Okay, that that it's not necessarily easy for everyone, but we can get through that stage. The hardest stage is well, which idea do I take forward? Which one do we actually um, make happen? And Using logic alone to make that decision is completely dangerous. Because, um, well, let me give you give you a real world example. Do, do you like playing chess? I'm not a chess player, no. But that's okay. I can play with okay. you. So let's well, do that. Let, let me let me. Do you think chess is a, is a very logical, analytical sport? I do. Yes, it is. It is absolutely. It's one of the uh, other than maybe um, Go. It's it's one of the most logical analytical games that that, that there are. And mm-hmm. um, they did a study. And what they did is they used uh, functional MRI scanners um, to monitor the brain activity of um, great chess players. And they wanted to see if these great chess players uh, were uh, very uh, you know left brain dominant. So they were very, you know areas of the brain. Uh, that deals with with logic um, uh, w- were more activated than others. Um, what do you think they found, Greg? I would assume that they found that the frontal lobes of their brains were highly uh, charged, and when they saw it, no. Well, uh, what they found um, was was quite disappointing to uh, to many of us in, in in this field. And what they found is, well, yes, great chess players. Um, tended to to have areas of the brain that dealt with um, decision-making and logic, Uh they were the most active. And um, we couldn't understand this because we thought, no, no, there's no way. They've they've got to be creative or they've got to be uh, able to come up with new new ways of playing to to win. Um, And what happened is they actually redid the the same test, but this time instead of using um, great chess players, they used grandmasters. And the results were totally different. When they analyzed the brains of grandmasters, they found that everything lit up. 
You know, they weren't left brain, they weren't right brain, they were whole brain thinkers. They were using a combination of logic, of memory, of imagination and daydream um, to picture how it could look 22 moves ahead. Um, so it showed that even in the most analytical of sports, if you can add in your creative side, your, your sort of imagination um, potential, you can do far better. Uh, and this is what we try and do when we're helping people make better decisions. So, so um, what do you what do you recommend? I mean, look, we're talking about synapses of the brain mm-hmm. because you can see the firing and the wiring and the rewiring. You mm-hmm. know, people that even have Alzheimer's or they've proven if they do certain things, uh, they're they're going to extend their ability to be more in in the world and productive. You know, what do you? What are you telling the people that come into your classes and want to learn about mind mapping how to rewire uh, okay, here's, to become, here's, become whole brain thinkers instead of right or left brain thinkers? Well, here, here's really a, here's a good example. People will say that the mind map is a great tool because it, it, it's a divergent thinking tool. Correct. But they say you can't use it for convergent thinking because it radiates outward. So how can you use it to make a decision, i.e. how can you use it to converge on a single uh, concept to to actually take it forward? And, And we say, well, actually you can. And the way that you use a mind map to pick an idea is literally through the visuals of the mind map. So for instance, if you had four ideas and um, you've looked at these ideas and you think these are the ones with the most potential. You then have to go through a various, you, you could go through different types of processes from force field analysis to whatever you, whatever you, you, you use as a, as a, as a preference. Um, what we get people to do is say, well, whatever process you normally use, try and do it as a mind map. And invariably you can. It's, I mean, a mind map is just a note-taking tool. Um, so when you start to mind map these ideas, you start to see imbalances. So for instance, at the most simple level, if you just did a reds and greens on an idea, you know, the things that are good about an idea and the things that are bad about an idea, you start visually seeing um, a picture. So maybe one of your key ideas, one of your branches, has lots of green on it and very little red. So instantly you can see that that's got a positive connotation to it. We, we like to take it a little bit further and we like to mix the, the sort of analytical into it. So if you've used any form of uh, balance scorecarding or any, any type of um, data analysis on those ideas, put that on different branches as well. And all of a sudden you've got this visual uh, map in front of you with, with various ways you could, you could proceed. Um, and you can actually see things much more clear. And what's been very interesting using that process is where um, some of the ideas that people come up with, if you were to look at them purely logically, purely through uh, data analysis, um, you would totally discard them. You'd say, well, you know, that's got one of the lowest scores of all the ideas. Um, we're not going to even take that one forward. We're going to discard it. But quite often, when you represent it visually, all of a sudden you see it differently. And an example would be, let's say you have a branch on your mind map. It has lots of greens, very little reds, but a very low score. What that tells you is potentially it's a very low-risk option to try. And quite often, we see it with our clients, that will be a route they'll take because they'll say, well, look at all the upside this has got. It's got hardly any downside okay, we didn't vote it as, 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 or, or see it through the spreadsheets as being a, a potential way forward, but looking at it visually, 
we should give it a try first. And, 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 and quite often that's successful. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a great way to look at it because, like you said, convergent thinking wants to come back down and wants to find a solution to something versus divergent. And that helps me put that in perspective. Um, you know, a few minutes ago, you were talking about these metaphors because they help us frame or reframe a problem and see it in a different way or a different light. Um, what tips or ideas do you have to help people become more creative with the development of the metaphors to get their points across. Because, you know, people who can create metaphors mm. and do it on the fly oftentimes, and that's that's me actually, um, it, it's so easy to explain an idea, but to actually help people understand how to, to be somebody who creates a metaphor, I think that's a different subject <laughs> altogether. Yeah, met- metaphoric thinking is is um, it, it is one of the the more difficult um, techniques if people um, aren't comfortable with it. And um, in terms of how we can make people do that, it's by a series of games and activities where um, you're asking them to think about a problem um, almost through the eyes of someone else. And uh, you know, a simple way of doing it would be to change their 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 their. their sort of uh, reference point on on a challenge so uh, one of the things we like to do is say to people well okay how would um how would ronald reagan solve this problem how how would how would your um old head teacher solve this problem how would your mother solve this problem Uh, look at it through their eyes okay it's not exactly a metaphor but what you're doing is you're changing their their perspective uh, I mean, metaphoric thinking is, is is really the highest level of thinking that we have to be able to to think in stories and relate those stories back to real life mm-hmm. um, is easy for some and difficult for others. Uh, it, it's um, a technique that we don't teach. It's a technique that we deliver. So as I say, we will give people a uh, problem and it will be a metaphor uh, for the problem that they're trying to currently solve. Um, but in terms of how, how you can do it, if, if anyone's listening and is, is interested, um, I, I think first and foremost is um, bringing yourself to the now. So, so um, you know, any form of, of, of meditation or mindfulness where you can you can almost block the uh, the outside world from from making you reactive to what's going on around you, mm-hmm. um, and then actually just saying, well, how can I reframe things? How can I change things? Um, you know, if, if I'm dealing with a difficult customer and I want to know how can I deal with that difficult customer in a different way, just change it, change the problem. Say, well, oh, let's imagine that I've got a, a difficult-to-handle dog. Um, how would I handle this, this difficult dog? You know, what would I do differently with it? And then just, it takes you out of the problem. It makes it less personal and it makes it easier for you to come up with with a different idea and you just translate that idea back to the original problem. Great advice. Great advice. I know that when I'm in the metaphoric kind of state and it, 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 frequently what happens is you don't know where it comes from, but mm. it, the pieces of the puzzle automatically just kind of come together for me and I can come up with these metaphors that people will have these huge ahas about and 
I, I can't even tell you how I do it, but I thought maybe somebody like you would know how it happens. <laughs> so in one <laughs> of your videos, you state that doing what you have done will get you left behind. And I quoted that before. That was kind of part of Einstein's uh, quote about doing what you've done and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. What are some of the thoughts that you would, parting thoughts that you would leave to our business owners, our business leaders, our thought leaders about developing a culture of creativity and innovation with inside their organization. I know here in the States, this is a big thing right now. Everybody's talking about got to be more creative. We got to do it quicker. We got to do it faster. We got to do all these things. And I think that the people that work in these teams and these organizations feel the pressure because we've cut the time down in between innovations, especially technologically based companies. But I think everybody's looking to do it because they think everybody's looking for more. How do you help them? And then maybe a a flip side to that is how do you actually shift the culture in which we live in your mind to maybe not embracing that so much? I know that sounds uh, weird, but it's truly, I think it's kind of a disease. Yeah, it's, it, it, we're in an interesting point at the moment of time because, um, you know, we're in a, in a very fast-changing, um, fast-paced uh, environment, uh, especially in the, in the sort of corporate world. Um, innovation is an absolute necessity. Um, if we don't innovate, we, we, we die. We die. Um, we, we, can, we can find out what we need to know almost when we need to know it. So um, knowledge is no longer power. Everyone thought, well, you know, if we, if we got the, the people that know the most in this industry, this gives us the power. Well, it doesn't. It's now the creation of new knowledge that gives, that gives people power. Um, so one of the things I'm very clear about is that whilst maybe two decades ago, if you, if you said to someone, if you keep doing what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got, mm-hmm. that would probably be true. But now, if you keep doing what you've always done, you will get left be behind because the, the, the pace of change is increasing uh, at, at an incredible rate. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and as you're saying, you, you then have this situation where um, organizations are saying, well, you know, we have to be creative. We have to be innovative. Um, they say the words, but they don't do the action. Um, it, you can't just be creative. You can't just be innovative. You can't just um, send somebody off on a, on a strategy day or a brainstorming day because they will do the same at that brainstorm day or that strategy day that they've always done before. You've got to change the way that they think. You've got to teach them how to be better thinkers. Um, and it's, you know, everyone thinks about leadership training, time management training, um, uh, productivity training, sales training, negotiation training, communication training, presentation skills. But creativity and innovation training uh, is, is still in its infancy. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's really accelerating. We, we, have, we have now over 650 instructors all across the world teaching people how to be more creative and how to be more innovative. And I, I, I know I'm biased, Greg, but I think that's where everything begins. Because yes, you can give people all the sales training and leadership training and negotiation training in the world, but what lies above that is that if you have an organization that can be different, can create something better than that's been out there before, that could be more innovative, you will do better. 
regardless of those other organizations that may have the best salespeople, the best negotiators. So I, I do feel that um, I think part of the problem is people don't know how to do it. They don't know how to innovate. And I, I think part of the process is you know, going out there and training training their team. And, you know, if it's not with us, there's there's many great people out there that will teach them how to think differently. But just to assume they can do it naturally is wrong. Well, let me ask you this then. It's a great segue. Um, you have tools, right? And you yeah. actually teach courses. For all these people that are listening worldwide, I don't care where they are, if they're in India or China, because I get them from all over. Where would you direct them? I know it's opengenius.com is one. Uh, You have your personal website, uh, which is chrisgreffis.com, correct? Yes. Uh, Okay. But if they wanted to like take a video course or get engaged or I know they can Mm. buy your software, it's easily there, it's downloadable, Um, it's available for both uh, Mac and PC. do you guys have plans to go cloud-based with this, or what, what is uh, the situation yeah, we've, there? We, we, we've started. Uh, iMindMap um, at the moment is a desktop tool. iMindMap is the mind mapping tool. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that will be moving over to uh, being cloud-based over the next few years. Okay. Um, DropTask, which you, which you mentioned uh, earlier in the conversation, is a task management tool that is highly visual. The best way to describe it is you've got lots of bubbles on your screen and, and a bubble represents a task and you can put people's images on the task and it's it's completely collaborative. Um, it's, a, it's a tool that actually um, uh, came out of, of, of requests of people that were uh, fans of mind mapping because mind mapping was great to come up with the, the ideas and the concept, but they then wanted a, a visual tool that could help them manage that in terms of, of actually making it happen. And we just couldn't find anything that, that, that worked in, in a, a flexible, fun way. Everything was Gantt charts and, and, and tables and, and lists, and it's just not the way the brain works. So dropped is completely cloud-based, but it does have supporting desktop apps. And um, you can well, find out about it actually, all of them. It Sorry. actually reads over, over to iMindMap9. So mm, it does, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, for my listeners, um, just so you know, uh, there'll be links to all of this inside the blog, a link to Chris's uh, personal website. Um, he's also, as I said, the author of a best selling book called Mind Maps for Business, which would be something that uh, I'd like to do an interview with you on, Chris, as well as an add on to this. Um, the, the other thing for my listeners is I'll have links to the open genius website where you can check this out. Um, an amazing, amazing website with awesome information. There's a free download there as well. So you can download it and you can try it for a while. Um, after your trial subscription, I highly recommend that you get this software. Obviously, if you're in um, a management position inside a company trying to do this up. But I think most importantly, Chris, you know, if people download this software and they feel all alone, where do they go to a community to get support because the community of support is probably the most important thing, and I know you guys have that. So what would you tell them? 
uh, you, you can literally do that within within the products. That the, the products have direct links into uh, into the forums and and the uh, uh, the help areas. So uh, if it was just a specific question, there would be um, either videos that would help them, uh, or if it was a more complex, well, you know, thank you for for the tool, but I need to know how to mind map. We we have resources where they could do a full online course on how to mind map completely for free um even if they were using somebody else's tool like they, they can use that because for us it's all about trying to um educate people in the most efficient way to mind map um because uh, there are lots of other uh visualizations you can use that are very effective um but they're all they all have different strengths um so concept mapping um flow charting and so on idea mapping all kinds of idea things. mapping yeah they're, they're all good and it does upset me when people try and say this product is better than this one or uh, concept mapping is better than mind mapping that just shows ignorance because these people don't understand that actually they're all different visual thinking tools and people have personal preferences if if people like ours brilliant if if they find somebody else is more effective i completely understand it because perhaps it's more suited to the way that they think um so it, it, it's just to uh, understand that people all have their own preference well and i think what's important is uh, open genius is about teaching the principles um, before you actually get into it and i and i yes. want to reiterate that the most important thing here isn't to just go start mind mapping. It's really to understand the process first. Now, the book, Grasp, really does a great job, folks. Uh, it's got lots of visuals in it. Um, it's got lots of text about how you get to this. So if you kind of wanted a Bible, you know, really, before you started, I'm going to recommend that you get Grasp. And I don't know about the, the other book, Mind Maps for Business, but I would presume it's the same. Chris, it's been an honor uh, number one, having someone on that's so knowledgeable about uh, mind mapping. The only other person that probably could have uh, been different than you would have been Tony Buzan himself. But uh, I'm glad to have had you, uh, obviously, the person that's created all the software with your teams. You have a, a lovely company and so, amazing support, folks, for everyone who's listening. Amazing support. Thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth and spending a little bit of time with us to learn about iMindMap9, Drop Task, and your book called Grass the Solution. Thanks, Craig. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to, uh, to a like-minded individual. Thank you. Thank you.